afternoon, listeners. This is the DOCS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We've been here for decades now because it's very important that public education be defended, and we're here to defend it and to promote it. Public education is education that's public in access to all children. It should also be public in purpose and outcome. But above all, it should be, we believe, openly accessible to all children. should also be publicly owned and controlled. And we have problems these days with public-private partnerships. But um, at least the public system is still publicly accountable, which is more than we can say for the private system, particularly the Catholic education system. We talked about that last week, what's been going on in the Catholic system, which is pretty good at the bottom of the schoolyard schemes. And this afternoon, we will be talking further on that. I'll leave that to Dale a bit later in this program. But um, we've also got some other information for you. And as always, we have a press release. Press release 858. So without much more ado, I'll let you in on the information in this press release. It's it's headed, Australia is a privatisation paradise. The current plague has exposed the gross inequities in Australia's educational provision. The privatisation market neoliberal policies that have exposed our innocent children to the education industry, religious or otherwise, is an abomination. A generation of children has been affected. How are we going to get out of the economic mess with our manufacturing industry at an all-time low? Where are the skilled workers going to come from as China cuts the tow rope? The OECD has revealed dangerous levels of expenditure on vocational education in this country. We're fourth last in the OECD after the Russian Federation, Mexico, Lithuania and Turkey. Everybody else, excepting those four, are way ahead of us when it comes to putting public money into vocational skilled workers' education. So, with the privatisation rorts in TAFE, because it's not that we haven't put money into it, we put a lot of money into private uh, people's pockets, and that would be about $19 billion gone, gone west on that, we're well on our way to the bottom. Australia also spends 36% less per student in vocational education than the OECD average. Now, these um, figures come from the OECD Education at a Glance report uh, for 2019. And uh, they have also been gone through by the Australian Education Union. So we feel pretty confident when we give you those figures. So privatisation of TAFE is a disaster. It could even be a catastrophe. And so is privatisation of education generally. Because successive Lib Lab governments have exposed our children's educational opportunities to the vicissitudes of this thing laid up in heaven called the market. That's why I'm calling it an abomination. And they've also allowed religious systems to undermine our public systems with complete impunity. 
And I can hear Ray Nielsen, who used to be our president years ago, saying, Ichabod. Australia also spends significantly less per student in public education institutions than the United States, United Kingdom, Canada and the EU. It has the third highest level of private expenditure on education institutions behind the US and the UK at $4,505 per student. This is more than 2.6 times the OECD average. So this is a marketeer's, profiteer's paradise. The Australian education industry has made billions out of insecure Asian parents who have sent their children here to our universities and our schools. But that cash cow has gone home in this pandemic and it may not be back any time soon. It may be poetic justice or it just may be desperation, but British educational properties are now owing insecure Australian parents and their bank balances as cash cows. We discover from the um, Sydney Morning Herald that a British school called Westbourne College, I think it's somewhere from Wales, will open a Sydney campus for Year 11 and 12 students in 2021. And they're only offering the International Baccalaureate. They are meritocrats and intend to top the state with their first cohort. Only extremely clever children who have already succeeded at school will be allowed into this school and they will have the pleasure, or their parents will have the pleasure, of putting 22,500 a year. That's just the fees, not all the other stuff. But they will have that advantage if they want it. But most importantly, the college has obtained already not-for-profit status and taxation exemptions, although it's quite obvious that they are in the education industry. It's little wonder that Lindsay Connors in Menadieu's Pearls and Irritations has produced a very interesting work which we'll look at later in this program. But she gives you this quote. In other countries, it would be hard for a government to persuade an electorate it was dealing with widespread economic hardship while it was funding private schools with resources beyond the dreams of avarice. So there you are. That is our our press release. And I had a lot of fun uh, writing that. I like to use the word abomination and Ichabod, and to quote Lindsay Connors, beyond the dreams of avarice, because that is what we are dealing with when we are dealing with private education in Australia at the moment. But that's enough from me and my words for the moment, my abominations, my Ichabods, and my avarice.
we're going to have a break and then I'll be back. Hey, all you mob, it's Dr. Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. If you're feeling like this, remember, it's okay to ask for help. Have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. A 3CR supporter. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And it began 250 years ago this year. Now, we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. And it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is. And we fight for it every day and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. Tricia, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Well, before the break, we heard our press release and I was talking about privatisation and using some strong words. And one of the words I used was the word avarice, uh, beyond the dreams of avarice, which we are observing in Australia with our private school interest. Now, this was not my words. These were not my words. They were the words of Lindsay Connors, who wrote an interesting article for Pearls and Irritations on the blog, Pearls and Irritations, on the 8th of September was part two of a series, and it's headed Society Bears Costs of Education Policy Crimes. And I have already quoted her as saying that in most other countries it would be hard for a government to persuade an electorate it was dealing with widespread economic hardship while it was funding private schools with resources beyond the dreams of others. Now, Lindsay Connors, who is um, an academic these days out in West Sydney, has a fairly long history. She was on the Schools Commission uh, back in the day in the 1980s. I don't recall that she ever wrote a dissenting report uh, when the Schools Commission was giving money to private schools, but the Schools Commission was disbanded when it didn't do its job anymore which was to shut up the, the public school interest when all the money was going to the private schools. So Lindsay Connors started her uh, involvement in education in the late 80s and then she went through the 90s and was very annoyed at what Howard did. So this article starts with Howard. 
She said, she writes, despite the fact that its funding policy removed the downward pressure on private school fees, the Howard government claimed that fees would fall. But the fees didn't fall. And even when the opposite happened and fees continued to rise, this only added to the cachet of these schools. And in a time of high anxiety, places in public selective schools likewise gave parents the sense of providing their children with something special. All over the country now, we see high-status schools oversubscribed, while the opposite is true of schools serving the least advantaged. And the latter are overrepresented, as we know, in the public education system. Some of the excess capacity that is essential to choice and competition policies wind their way down even into these schools. They are then left with a disproportionate share of the heavy lifting in education and insufficient resources for the workload. So all the talk of the needs back in the day, in 1973 with Carmel, all the talk of the needs policy with Mr Gonski, things are worse, not better. Now, this is a shameful state of affairs, uh, Lindsay Connors writes. Clearly, students are not to blame, and the decisions of parents have all been made within the framework that's been set by governments. Even in opposition, Julia Gillard was a scathing critic of the Howard government scheme, yet when she won office, she was the Minister for Education in 2007, when she was Education Minister, but also when she was Prime Minister, she prolonged the life of Howard's policies for most of its six-year term. And when establishing the Gonski Inquiry, Gillard added the proviso, that any of its recommendations on a fairer funding model could not create losers. No school, she said, was to lose a dollar. No one in this country has ever been prepared to take on the schools or the privileged and the wealthy. That's me, not her. Now, Lindsay Connors continues. This required the schools serving students from socioeconomically advantaged backgrounds to be guaranteed a minimum amount of money. And this privilege of entitlement over need significantly increased the total cost of the reform. The inclusion of public funding for schools for which no educational justification has ever been provided or could has contaminated every attempt by Labor to establish genuine needs-based funding since the Whitlam years. It was always a dream. Whitlam never did it either. At the start of the 2010 school year, Julia Gillard, as Education Minister, launched the My School website. Now, this has been very useful. Dogs have found it very useful, and so has Trevor Cobalt from South Wales Schools. But Lindsay Connors makes a very interesting point about My School. It did have emphasis on transparency and it has yielded valuable data on the finances of school, student and teacher numbers and the level of educational advantage of students. It has also provided data on school performance as measured by the National Literacy and Numeracy Assessment Program, NAPLAN. 
And here on the dogs, we have often told you what we have found and what Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools and others have found on this website. It's a very useful research tool. But while the policy rhetoric emphasised equity and equality, the naming of the website itself, My School, Not Our Schools, and the message to parents that they should use it as a tool for individualised school choice added to the beat of market forces. By the time of the COVID-19 crisis, the effects of the evolutionary trend noted by Max Angus in 2007 became much clearer. The system had evolved into one that diverted energy and resources that should go to supporting the vital work of teachers in schools and classrooms into structures and processes for sifting and sorting students among competing schools. Nothing new in that. That's been going on since the very beginning in Australia. We actually have been producing a pretty class-dominated society. The Indigenous people could certainly tell you that. Now, generous recurrent funding to cover teaching costs has enabled the diversion of their private funding into the construction of building and facilities which Trevor Cobalt has described as an arms race. And all you have to do is to go into the leafy suburbs of Melbourne to have the, at the resources arms race of the wealthy private schools. Now, a critical factor in success at school is time spent with effective teachers. And yet recent trends show a growing diversion of funding to the employment of increased administrative staff in schools and systems. As Cobalt has also stated, the priority should be to employ resources that have a direct effect in improving student outcomes generally and in increasing equity in outcomes. The costs of these policy crimes are borne most directly by those students, but they go well beyond those immediate victims to society as a whole. By late 2019, there have been signs suggesting that Conservative governments, particularly in New South Wales, had started to recognise that their market-based policy funding policies had got out of hand. Well, New South Wales is way ahead of Victoria here, I can tell you. But it is out of hand. Because we're confronted with a costly mix of underused and overcrowded schools, and in New South Wales, Berejiklian's government has accused parents of bypassing their local school and shopping around. Well, what else were they expected to do in a market economy and in, with a, an, education, an education industry? That's what the Asian parents have been doing who have sent our children here. Is the next step going to be that the wealthy of Australia send their children elsewhere, out of Australia? Now, Australia entered this crisis with a school system that worked to mal-distribute the teaching workload, the public funding and the teaching force among its schools. And it's a bit like universities here. Its teaching force was being destabilised by casualisation and the secondary school system is overly reliant on staff teaching out of their field of expertise. So, when the virus hit, it immediately revealed these inequalities in our systems as sharply as it did 
in all the other vital services like aged care and childcare. The chosen schools generally have excellent infrastructure and conditions for flexible learning during social isolation, but others have struggled. And what has happened to our disabled children? The immediate priority is to prevent further damage to our most vulnerable students, but it's clear that there's going to be great demands on our public system by a society living with or recovering from the effects of this pandemic. So priority should be given to our public schools, not to our private schools. Now, I think that's, that's enough of that. So we will have a bit of a, a break. Enough of my voice. And if you get this thing, you'll hear Dale very shortly and the lifluent tones of Dale's voice because she has some very interesting material to tell you about too. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. Yes, well, last week... As you might remember, we told you about the quite outrageous warting of the needs policy by the Catholic school system. We've been telling you about this for some months because Mr Turnbull uh, suddenly realised that politicians were naive when it came to dealing with the bishops of the Catholic Church, although he had been on notice from his Auditor General and so on for some time that uh, things were not as they should be uh, there was very little accountability, particularly for money that was given to the Catholic Church for disadvantaged children. As we all know, the really disadvantaged Catholic children are in our public schools. But um, the uh, Catholic bishops and their uh, bureaucrats were doing some very interesting things with the billions of dollars of public money that they were receiving from the federal and state treasuries. Now, Trevor Cobalt, um, has picked up with the extraordinary work, very good work that was done by some ABC journalists in the last fortnight. And just to remind you of uh, what is now being said about the 
shenanigans of this uh, multinational religious organization, corporate organization, we have Dale to tell you what Trevor Cobalt has got to say about it. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, I've got Trevor Cobalt's article here. It's titled, Shocking New Exposé of Catholic Churches Rorting of Taxpayer Funding. Documents leaked to the ABC expose shocking rorting of taxpayer funding by the New South Wales Catholic school system with the approval of Catholic bishops. It is the latest in a long line of of exposés about misuse of government funding by Catholic systems and which successive coalition and Labor governments have meekly acquiesced to. The new ABC analysis shows that New South Wales Catholic school authorities will have diverted more than $300 million in public funding from the system's poorer to richer primary schools by 2023 to keep fees low in wealthy suburbs to maintain market share. The leaked documents show that schools in some of the wealthiest area areas collect roughly one-third to half the fees parents at those schools are able to afford, while fees in much poorer areas are set at two or three times above what those parents can afford. In its response to the ABC, the National Catholic Education Commission tried to defend the rorting by resorting to obfuscation. It claimed that Catholic schools in poor areas are funded more than those in wealthy areas and that fees are lower in poor areas. This avoids the key point of the ABC analysis, namely Catholic schools in poor areas are not fully funded according to need because Catholic school organisations siphon off some taxpayer funds intended for poor schools to well-off schools. The NCEC response continues a long tradition of denial by Catholic education authorities. Former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull has exposed it as a deliberate lie. In his memoirs, he recounted a a conversation with the Archbishop of Sydney, Anthony Fisher, about the government's proposal to publish the amount of funding each school would receive under new funding arrangements. Fisher was concerned that this would reveal the church's cross-subsidisation of its schools in wealthy suburbs. Quote, Once you tell people how the government has assessed need and shown how much each school would get, we could never get away with it. People would say we were shortchanging poor schools to benefit rich ones. End quote. And people would have been right. Fisher told Turnbull, that the problem with the government's needs-based model was that more, quote, more funding would go to schools in the poorer outer suburbs of Sydney and country New South Wales, end quote. So much for Catholic support of, for the poor. Fisher's priority is to keep fees low for wealthy families. The wealthy should be supported at the expense of the poor, according to the powerful Archbishop. The ABC analysis shows that New South Wales Catholic education authorities have been diverting funding from poor to wealthy schools since 2015. But many government and other reports show it's been ongoing in New South Wales and other states since the Catholic system joined the Howard government's SES funding model in 2004. Can I interrupt there? Yes. Can I interrupt there? 
The dogs know that it's been going on since 1973. It has been going on, and this is what we, our, our press release 857 says if you want to go to our website, um, it has been going on since 1974. At no stage has the Catholic Church ever given the needy schools, the poorest schools, the public funding that was intended for them. At no point. It was never the game. Never their game. The game was middle-class enrolments. Trevor Kobold's article goes on uh, to say, in 2009, the National Audit Office found that systemic schools with low SES scores receive less Australian Government General recurrent grants per student from their school systems than if they were directly funded under the SES arrangements. It noted that the Department of Education didn't even know how Catholic and other school systems distributed government funds to schools. And nothing changed under the then Labor government. In 2011, the Gonski report expressed concern about the lack of transparency of funding allocations in private school systems. It recommended that they should be obliged to disclose how government funding is distributed to member schools. In 2016, a report of the Victorian Auditor-General found that the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria reallocated state government recurrent grants away from the lower socioeconomic status schools to school with higher socioeconomic status. A review of the New South Wales Catholic Education System by Catherine Greiner in the same year found significant differences between the current funding of schools and the requirements of the Australian Education Act. It showed that schools in large city dioceses gained funding at the expense of poor schools in rural and remote areas. Another report by the National Audit Office in 2017 found that many low SES Catholic schools were allocated significantly less funding by Catholic education authorities than their entitlement. It found that the Department of Education failed to ensure that school systems published their distribution model and did not check whether systems distributed funding according to need. A comparison of funding of Catholic schools in affluent and poor areas of Melbourne by the Grattan Institute in 2017 found they were not funded according to need. It found that if Catholic schools were funded directly according to the Gonski-based needs-based distribution formula, Leafy Green Schools would lose 42% of their funding, while the poor schools receive an increase of 78%. Similar comparisons of funding of Catholic schools in affluent and poor areas of Sydney and Melbourne by the Australian Financial Review in 2017 found they were not funded according to need. The analysis found that Catholic school authorities have, have directed millions of dollars of Commonwealth funding to wealthy schools at the expense of poor schools. Save Our Schools has published several analyses over a decade on overfunding of wealthy Catholic and other private schools. One research paper found that almost all high SES Catholic combined and secondary schools in Australia were overfunded compared to their entitlement according to their SES score. 
A decade after the first National Audit Office report, nothing had changed. In 2019, a bipartisan report of the Parliament's Joint Committee of Public Accounts found that the Department of Education had failed to enforce its own legislation to ensure that funding arrangements of private school systems are publicly available and transparent and that systems distribute taxpayer funding to affiliated schools on a needs basis. Now the ABC has been sensationally leaked documents, has sensationally leaked documents of the New South Wales Catholic school system showing how it continues to shift millions of taxpayer dollars intended for its schools in poor areas to schools in wealthy areas. Catholic systems have got away with it for years, despite the litany of revelations about their abuse of government funding. It is testimony to the power of the Catholic Church to obtain preferential funding agreements, but ignore legislated requirements on how it distributes the funding. There is some prospect for change. A recent report by the National School Resourcing Board also found that there's insufficient transparency about how school systems distribute Commonwealth funding and that current reporting on school funding allocation and distribution is fragmented, inconsistent and incomplete. It's said that their needs-based funding arrangements should be publicly available and transparent. Quote, Transparency supports accountability and publicly available arrangements create an evidence base about different approaches, which is valuable, especially when there is limited evidence explaining what constitutes an effective approach to respond to the variety of often competing needs of students and schools at a local level, end quote. The report recommended that the government should identify instances where school-level public funding distribution in a private school system varies significantly from the publicly funded share of the schooling resource standard for the school. This is needed, it says, to support public confidence that the government is monitoring the distribution of taxpayer funds to schools. The Morrison government has accepted the recommendations of the report. However, It remains to be seen whether there will be any effective action or change. Catholic education authorities have a long history of thumbing their nose at legislative requirements on needs-based funding. And the Morrison government does not have a good record either in challenging the Catholic Church. It quickly sued for peace when the Church ran a ruthless campaign with Labor support against the proposals by the Turnbull government to make Catholic school funding arrangements more transparent. And And they also got their bullies. They got rid of Birmingham, who's one of the better ministers that actually Morrison's got. He he seems to have some instincts towards towards, uh, honesty. Oh, when, uh, and when he questioned them, they very quickly uh, had him move sideways. Didn't that's they? right. They changed his portfolio. He he was one of the very few education ministers who actually said, "Hey, hang on, we're giving too much money to the private schools." So they changed his portfolio. <laughs> it just well, I think I, I I think that many many education ministers over the years have suddenly realised that they are dealing with um, a complete lack of accountability and ministerial responsibility. Even the idea of it is still there. They're going to have mud on their face. Mm. And again and again, 
the Catholic Church has thrown mud on the face of our minister, our ministers of education. I couldn't, going right back, right back to when they got the state aid again. This is why the dogs believe that there should be separation of religion from the state. That the Catholic Church has a 2000 year history, uh, as have other, other churches as well, uh, of being too close to the state and becoming a state within a state mm. and telling the elected representatives uh, what to do and what not to do. And when money becomes involved, there's almost no accountability at all. A very worrying situation for a democracy. Mm. So that's enough for that issue. Uh, we'll have another break and then we've got some more interesting material here. The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth, and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people, and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep radical voices on air Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. G'day you mob, Kutcher Edwards here. I just want to send out a message to you all. To stop the spread of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus, it is advised that you keep 1.5 metres away from each other. Follow rules on social gatherings. Wash your hands when appropriate and stay home if you're feeling sick or unwell. But most of all, keep strong, stay safe. And of course, keep listening to 3CR community radio to keep connected to the community we'll get through this and hope to see you real soon bye well here we are on the dogs program once again the australian council for defense of government schools and we are promoting public education and in spite of all of the troubles that it has had over the last 40 years it is still here in australia there is still a vibrant public education system which is open to all children and which is educating our children. They haven't got rid of it yet for all their privatisation and all the shenanigans and all of the things that they have said against it. We are still here promoting it and the schools are still there for our children and the teachers are still there uh, looking after their children and the teachers are still in their unions fighting for their children. So let's be positive about this because it's very important that we keep our public education system. It is the cornerstone of our democracy. 
that we're up against international marketeers and money makers. And earlier in this program, at the very beginning, we talked to you about a Sydney campus of the United Kingdom School, which is going to come to Sydney and have just first up a senior campus for the International Baccalaureate. This is a symptom of the marketeering industrialised uh, education industry throughout the world. Here in Australia, a lot of our private schools are doing the same thing. Haleybury, for example, has got a campus in, in Asia. I think it's in China, although I wonder how long that's going to last in the current situation. But here we have the United Kingdom school or a group of people coming out to Australia. It's interesting. They think that there's money to be made here. It's called Westbourne College and it's pitching itself as a gateway to university and work rather than a traditional school. The students aren't going to wear a uniform and they must dress as they would for their first year's job interview. Well, they're not doing anything new. Back in the 1970s, Tasmania had senior high schools, colleges they called them. I know because I taught in them. And I also know that in Victoria it would have been tremendous to have had them here, and we did have one in Bendigo, but uh, thanks to Jean Blackburn and um, others, uh, this never happened. They just got rid of our, our, our technical schools, some of which were very good senior colleges indeed, and um, uh, they caused a great deal of trouble. So this senior college idea, there's absolutely nothing new about it. But what is this one trying to do that hasn't been done in Australia? They claim that they are going to have a STEM focus, that's science and those matters. Uh, there's only going to be 25 students in each year group and fees are going to be 22500 a year. How strange. They're only going to be doing the baccalaureate. So they're really putting a toe in the water to see how stupid the colonials are. That's my feeling. This uh, is a 120-year-old college near Cardiff in Wales that is trying to get its toe in the water in the Australian education industry. And it's regularly one of the top 1B schools, according to um, marketeers. Um and they're saying, we're not pretending to be all things to all people. Well, they're certainly not. They're not a public school, are they? They're not open to everyone. <laughs> no, they are only going to, listen to this, focusing on the very bright, very capable, very versatile kids who already have a trajectory to be STEM professionals in a global context. We intend to top the state with our first cohort. <laughs> well, this is the old meritocracy idea, isn't it? Um, might I say I feel very sorry for any child that might be sent by their parent to this school. They have no choice but to succeed. What happens if they don't? Would you want to be one of these children? I'm not sure I'd want my child to be part of this. A lot of pressure. Anyway, they're going to have it in Ultimo, their campus. And it's been registered already as a school with the New South Wales Educational Standards Authority. But it hasn't quite got full accreditation yet. 
but it has not-for-profit status. This is what worries me. It qualifies for government funding. So I suggest that the, these people, these education industry people, are putting a toe in the water in the colonial situation to see how stupid we are and how easy it is to get money out of the government. Mm. The TAFE colleges have been doing it for Knox. And that, as we know, is a $19 billion loss with a lot of children who were supposed to have, um, who are carrying debts because of that loss. And um, I wonder about these people here. So they say that they have a philosophy of preparing students for university and work. So there's not going to be any uniform. Well, they can go down and find out how it's done with Rosny College and the colleges down in Hobart. They might be able to teach them a thing or two. But um, I just thought you'd be interested in the pretensions of these people who are coming from the United Kingdom to see if they can find some cash cows in the colonies. In the same way as some of our private schools go into Asia to see if they can find some cash cows in China. But um, the tow rope's been cut from China, so I suggest that the um, Australian private schools have got a few problems, and so do the universities. And it's going to be very interesting to see how both private and public school teachers and academics suddenly realise that it's time they really did unionise and fight for their rights because teachers and um, healthcare workers are absolutely essential for us to survive through this pandemic. But that's enough for me at the moment. We'll have another little break and there's before we sign off, there's some more information from Dave. 3CR remains closed to all broadcasters and guests until further notice. The good news is that so many of our programs are producing new shows each week from home. From Lost in Science to Living Free. Done by Law to Defence of Government Schools. Concrete Gang to Chronically Chilled. Mafalda to Music Matters. We're here with compelling content and rousing radio. Listen live or listen later. Tune in, stay safe and keep listening. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. CR Community Radio 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit, our education is for 
You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, welcome back to The Dogs program, the defence of government schools, and I'll hand you over to Dale for our final segment. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, I've got a quite disturbing article here by Adam Carey. It was in The Age. It's titled, No Next Term for Nine-Year-Old Autistic Boy After School Blocks Return. At just nine years old, grade three student Thomas Brown might be the youngest child ejected from a Victorian school in years. Thomas has level two autism spectrum disorder and has had repeated run-ins with another boy at his school, St. Leonard's College, a non-government school in Brighton East. The school ruled this week that he should not return in term four. His bad behaviour includes spitting, striking the other boy with a cricket bat and making an insulting remark about the boy's mother. Thomas's mother, Emma Brown, said his schooling was going well in Term 1 this year, but problems grew in Terms 2 and 3 as the school moved back and forth between face-to-face and remote learning. I think he's definitely struggled with online learning, and the change from being back at school to online learning to back at school, he's really struggled with that, Ms Brown said. Eager for a fresh start, The Brown family had chosen to withdraw Thomas from St Leonard's College this year anyway, but asked for that decision to be reversed when an alternative school could not be found until Term 1 next year. This week, Principal Stuart Davis wrote to the Brown family telling them that Thomas would not be welcome at at the school next term. His trigger for the decision was the expected return to -to face-to-face learning. It is now evident that we will return to on-site learning in Term 4, which requires me to prioritise the emotional and physical well-being of all students, Mr Davis wrote. Under these conditions, I do not believe it appropriate for Thomas to return to St Leonard's College for Term 4. He wrote that for the rest of Term 3, Thomas and his sister Elsie, who is also autistic, would only be permitted to attend school on separate days. Mr Davis told The Age that Thomas had not been expelled, rather his parents' reapplication had been declined for reasons which reflect significant concerns about the safety and well-being for other children. (laughs) It's it's, it's what Robert says, you know, your child's educational needs will be best met elsewhere, is the nice way of saying it. It's called gilding the lily, I think, or yes. I think it's just plain hypocrisy. Oh, yeah. So that yeah, we were yeah. just editorialising then. So back to the article. <laughs> uh, the decision leaves Thomas facing a significant gap in his education, with no school to attend until 2021. His father, Brendan Brown, says the family's considering legal action on the ground of discrimination. Then they're not really up to date with their obligations to children with a disability, he said of the school. They didn't seem to have much tolerance. Mr Davis had initially told the family Thomas's return would be subject to a conversation. The Department of Education and Training published data last month that showed 
that no child below year four has been expelled from a government school in at least the past two years. School expulsion processes were reformed in Victoria two years ago following a damning ombudsman's report that found the practice disproportionately affects students with a disability, students living in out-of-home care and Indigenous students. The reforms give students and their families and carers more grounds to appeal, but they only apply to government schools. The Ombudsman's Ombudsman's uh, 2017 report also raised the alarm about informal expulsions or soft exits, for which there's no data, but which potentially number in the thousands each year. The non-government school sector does not hold data on expulsions. The way you could get this data, of course, is the number of children that have been expelled from private schools that turn up. Uh, the next term in that's, government schools. That's right. Teachers in government schools know all about this. The article continues, uh, Victoria's Principal Commissioner for Children and Young People, Leanna Buchanan, said the government had done a good job of better regulating expulsions in state schools. But I would support some coordinated effort across all education providers because the evidence is very clear. Expelling students is harmful to the individual student and the family and is rarely the best approach to working with a child who needs particular support. Ms Buchanan said it was notable that the boys' problems had intensified during the COVID pandemic, given children with autism often suffer from a loss of regular routine. The Mm. circumstances around COVID has meant that this has been a particularly difficult time for those children and I'm not surprised that some of these children have been acting that out. But the response is not to punish that child. The response is to better deal with that child's needs, she said. Well, that's a very sad story because um, there are all kinds of children. I don't know that sometimes a child who's been labelled autistic or Asperger's is necessarily um, disabled. It just means that they have very very special abilities uh, very often. But um, all children need security and love especially uh, while they are young and at school. And to be rejected by a school is is a a very, very sad thing. Mm -hmm. However, government schools, public schools, have to accept children, all children. And there seems to be some kind of rumour that they don't have especially clever children, but they do. And I'd like to just um, say that there's one little boy who I'd like to congratulate on getting into a special program, and that's Angus, before we we, we we close off. Because every child has different abilities and every child is gifted, whatever those abilities might be, whether they are labelled in any way, whether it's autistic or whether, in fact, they have a, a physical disability. They are all our children and we pay taxes and they should all receive an A-plus education in our public schools. So that's enough from us today and um, it's time for us to say bye for now. You'll find all out about us on our website at www.adogs.info and hopefully next week Robert will be back with us. But it's from Dale and me. 
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.